Hello lovelies, it's time for another instalment of Babushka's Big Queer Media Review, the bi-weekly podcast where we review another piece of media that has a queer focus. This can either be with its main characters, storylines or themes, or has been created by a member of the Alphabet Mafia, as we want to make sure we are supporting both queer arts, but also the queer artists. I am your host, Sister Babushka, the drag non-extraordinaire from the Order of Perpetual Indulgence, and this week we're going to be reviewing Game Boys, a Filipino series set during the COVID pandemic and Luzon Island community quarantine, and how a live stream gamer and his fan connect. I have decided to go with this piece of media since I actually recently just binged watching it and... I thought it might be a good start taking us away from always having English being our main language of the media we're reviewing. It's going to happen as we seek to look at stories of queer people from all over the world, so we may as well get used to subtitles now. Now, as always, our discussion will begin with a brief synopsis of the TV show, followed by spoiler-free thoughts and feelings about the TV show. This will be followed by an in-depth discussion of some of the key plot points that occurred, and we will then finish off with my overall rating of the TV show and a heads-up about what we're looking at next time. If you've not had a chance to watch Game Boys and don't want to hear any spoilers, then please feel free to skip the detailed section and listen to it afterwards if you so wish. Because there was a lot relating to this TV show that I wanted to talk about, this episode that you're hearing right now is the condensed version of what has been recorded. There is a bonus episode available on Patreon where I have a lot more key points I talk about. So this is about half the conversation. If you want to access the additional talking points that I cover, please feel free to sign up to Patreon and access that bonus episode that way. With all that said, let's get into it. The synopsis for this show, as it appears on IMDb, is as follows. Cairo is raving for a rematch after his sudden defeat in a popular mobile game, but his opponent, Gavriel, wants something in return. Yes, I know, that is very vague. (laughs) That's why you've got me telling you about what the show is actually about. Starring Kokoi de Santos and Elijah Canlas, it's been so popular that so far it has also had its own movie, and is currently producing a series too. Now, I will admit, I haven't seen the film yet, probably saving that to ease me into season two when it comes out, so all thoughts today are solely around season one. Now, the version I've watched was what is considered the Level Up edition, which is on Netflix, at least in the UK. I'm not sure about where you are and your Netflix subscription. And it changes the original run of 14 episodes, into 13 episodes, having merged the original episodes 1 and 2 into a single episode and having reshot some of the scenes with additional footage. The episodes range between 20 to 30 minutes, with the series finale being super generous at 40 minutes. So overall, it is quite quick and easy to binge the show in a weekend. I might have done such a thing. Who knows? (laughs) Now, if you're not used to watching Asian-style dramas, then I think it's fair to be aware that 
at times, the acting will feel different to what you expect from most Western-style media. At times, it might feel like the actors involved are being super dramatic and going a little bit extra from what you would expect from Western actors. But the key focus from Asian-based dramas is more around the development of the characters and their relationships, which does mean at times the drama from the series comes from this overemphasis on the acting. So, just to be aware of that. The show itself is set during the coronavirus pandemic, which I'm sure we've all had some experience of, but this time we get to focus on how this was in the Philippines and how the pandemic affected life there in terms of both lockdowns and restrictions. It also means we get plenty of the classics that we have gotten used to over the last two years, such as being on mute when trying to talk, (laughs) doing some online Zumba or yoga classes together with friends, and the obvious Zoom calls with all the awkward dancing that that can entail. Now, I don't know if enough time has passed for us all to have gotten over some of the cringe relating to these things, but it is nice to see the real touch of what people have been doing to stay social with each other over the last two years. And nothing is more real to me than someone having to admit they pressed the stupid Facebook thumb button as a mistake so many times. I'm glad it's called out in this as well. (laughs) Now, because of coronavirus, the first nine episodes were actually all filmed online due to quarantine restrictions, which means Elijah Canlis, Cocoy de Santos, Adriana So, and Kyle Vellino all had to do their own makeup and setting up of frames for their shots. And I think it's incredible that the team pulled together on this and a massive achievement despite the virus and the restrictions to what could be done. Everyone really came together to make an amazing online series, I feel, in spite of everything that they were faced with. And I say everyone, as Elijah even had some of his own family members, specifically his brother and his father, in real life, taking up those roles in the show as well. So everyone really did get stuck in while they were stuck at home, it seems. The narrative is a fairly simple one, of two gamer boys falling for each other over the course of the series, with a few challenges coming up along the way on their budding relationship. So it is a nice, simple slice-of-life series rather than something that is more fantastical or overly complex. But this does also mean that at times we have some very cheesy moments (laughs) or situations that might make you slightly raise your eyebrow if they were that believable. Very much playing up to the fact that slice-of-life can also take it to an extreme where you you question whether or not. I think the best example being much like telenovelas and other sort of long-running shows around the world, there is a lot of incredible situations that pop up um, that I don't think a lot of us see in our day-to-day lives. The pacing of the narrative is set up to keep you coming for more, as for most episodes we do see them end on cliffhangers, leaving you wondering how is the situation going to develop or Who is this new character that's been introduced in the last five minutes and what are they up to in terms of how they interact with our two key characters? And I will say at times the cliffhangers did feel a little bit contrived, but overall they do fit into the narrative of the show and they do keep things interesting. So maybe that was another reason why I binged the show within two nights of insomnia, (laughs) because I just needed to know what was happening 
In terms of language of the show, I actually really enjoyed how the speaking would jump naturally really between Tagalog, officially known as Filipino, and English. Not only did it show the, the easy use of the two official languages of the Philippines, but it was actually the first time I've seen this done in such an effortless way in any media I've watched. It's not often that you will watch a non-English film where the characters will jump between speaking their native language to English back again to their native language within the space of a minute. I really appreciated the language skills of the actors and the Philippines in general. And for all the writing that we get on screen, from the direct messages, the Facebook posts and anything else we're looking at, Instead of just being left to read that ourselves, the show is made much more accessible as the characters will also read aloud the words we are seeing. And I really appreciated this detail because it does mean that it is open to people watching regardless of what their reading capabilities are. And it just creates that extra little bit of accessibility for people that might otherwise be turned away if they knew they had to read everything on screen. Finally, in terms of representation... I think it feels pretty good as we get to see several different queer characters to help show different ways on how they are queer. Over the course of the show, we get the five male presenting characters that all have or have had attraction to or relationships with other men, but all representing different angles of this experience. So we go from Cairo, who is still figuring out who he is and how to be gay, as he has just recently discovered his own sexuality, to Gavriel, who is sure in his sexual attraction to people and can be quite headstrong and blunt about it when pursuing his partners, as well as having people showing both the unrequited crush side of things to the jealous ex who decided to stay in the closet rather than being themselves, all the way to the out-and-proud, very effeminate-appearing gay man as well. And although there isn't a great lot of representation for female characters, or female-presenting characters, we do, at some point, even have the casual mention from Pearl, who is our key female character in the show, that she has kissed a girl. And it is just left at that, leaving it open to be bisexual, pansexual, just whatever you're reading into it is based on how she presents to you. And I think overall, the show leaves a lot of its characters without labels. In fact, I think there was only one character that is officially stated with a label of gay, with the rest of it just allowing the characters' attractions to be what they are and not worrying so much about trying to fit people into specific sections of the queer community. I really appreciated that in terms of queer representation because we're not getting hung up on the label. We are really just looking at love is love and not trying to fit people into criterias, not trying to fit people into specific categories or anything like that. And I really appreciate that the show really sticks to that as well. Now, just a reminder, at this point, I will be going into a more detailed analysis of the TV show, which means there will be spoilers, and if you haven't managed to watch Game Boys yet, and you don't want anything spoiled, then this is your last chance to skip ahead past the discussion, or you can go ahead and put me on pause, go watch the show, and then come back afterwards to listen to me. I promise I won't mind. And again, just a heads up that the next part of the show is a condensed version of a much wider conversation I had, 
And again, if you want access to the wider conversation, please do support me on Patreon, where it is a bonus episode for patrons supporting me. Spoiler-filled part will be up until around... 21 minutes. Still here? Well then, don't say I didn't warn you. The way we get to know more about each of our main characters is quite interesting. Rather than having the usual exposition dump where they would talk to each other or have clunky dialogue which gives us snippets into their lives, we see who they are based on their social media posts. We see that Gavriel is being that awkward teenager on social media who is cocky for an audience he can't quite see, showing off workouts and flirting. Meanwhile, with Cairo, we see that as well as being a online stream gamer, he has other responsibilities to take care of. And I think this is quite an interesting technique that is used throughout the show to give us an insight into how the boys are feeling and what is going on in their lives, especially later on when there are sort of plot points that relate to them not speaking to each other. And so we can see what is going on in their mind based on the stories that they're sharing on their social media profiles. It's one of the facts of life now that when we live in a digital age, we all have that footprint where people can find us and see who we are at a click of a button. This mechanism of showing us who our characters are without the need for our characters telling us directly or to each other, I thought was really quite interesting. The development of the relationship does feel quite realistic while it goes through several phases on the show. So when we're first introduced to them, we have Kyro, also known as Kaimazing, an online streamer who's challenged and beaten by Gavriel, known as Angel2000. And when Gavriel is first introduced to us, he comes across as a bit of a dick, flexing like a bro to Cairo and saying he has a crush on him. And Cairo's only interested in a rematch to beat him, to reclaim his sort of status on his streaming site. And so writes him off as being a weirdo, which does seem sensible to do, since random people contacting you online saying they like you isn't always the right thing to encourage in your life. You know, you need to be careful when dealing with online strangers that you've never met before. Eventually, a rematch is agreed, with the conditions that Gavriel will get to court Cairo if he wins, with Cairo not seeming put off with this, giving us the idea, or the first indication even, that Cairo might be queer in some way, or if not, at least he is not upset by the idea of another guy liking him. Of course, story-wise, he loses, and so we then end up going on a virtual pizza date between the two boys, where they actually do start to get to know each other as people, and it begins that slow sharing of their lives with each other. And as we progress through the series, we do see Cairo slowly letting his guard down and giving hints that he does like Gavriel, although when this is spotted by other characters, he is quick to put back up his walls and claim he doesn't, where he will shift the attention away from himself and try and focus on other areas of conversation. It does get frustrating at times to have Cairo being so closed off like this, when we can see that Gavriel is quite invested in this from both the conversations we see between himself and Pearl, his friend, but also just the way he is putting a lot of energy into the relationship where it feels like Cairo isn't. And again, it feels like that one-sided sort of relationship that we sometimes see both in media and in real life. Gavriel even makes a claim that he'll change his online username to Cairo's Angel, which 
super, super cheesy, uh, which I am very thankful for even the characters calling this out as being super cheesy as well. But eventually we do we do get that rewarding feeling when Cairo does fully start to open up and admit his feelings for Gavriel, even going so far as to share his his new username online, which is Gav's baby. And then it means that they are officially an item instead of this unknown position that they are to each other. During the relationship forming between Cairo and Gavriel, we do get snippets from Cairo's family life not being the best at the moment. Not necessarily getting the full picture of why, but that does develop as we go along. We do see messages from his dad and calls from his brother finding out that his dad, who is in hospital with COVID, is not improving health-wise and actually needs to be intubated. And as we go on, we realise the tension between Cairo and his family is coming from the fact that he feels it's his fault for his dad being in hospital due to him trying to run away and his dad coming out to try and find him after Cairo has been outed by a close friend. Although it is revealed that his family, although there is tension, it is more due to the frustration and the worry they have about the situation with the father rather than specifically blaming Cairo. And it just goes to show the power that shame and guilt can have on us and how it can affect our relationships with those we love, which is one of the key reasons why, as sisters, we want to help banish stigmatic guilt as much as we can, so it isn't wearing people down, especially when it's over things that we shouldn't feel guilty about, such as being gay and loving who we love. You know, we want to make sure that you're not dealing with that guilt, so you you don't have the damaging effects that we do see playing out here from having such guilt carrying around every day. I think the fact that we know Cairo's dad has asthma and has suffered a heart attack in the past, yet still risks going outside during the pandemic to find his son, just to make sure that he is okay and safe, just shows how much he loved his child, no matter who he was. And I feel that he was really doing parenting right by just wanting to make sure that his son was happy being who he was and loving him unconditionally, like any parent should love their child. And again, with Cairo's dad sending that scheduled email in case anything went wrong. It was just so heartbreaking to have that scene. Again, he's getting parenting right where he wants to let his son know he's loved and he understands and support him no matter what. And he's taken the time to prepare this as a worst case scenario and I can't say this to my son's face. I still have a way to let my son know that he is loved. That just feels so beautiful and it just goes to show again that the Western perception that we are fed that Asian families will always be angry and upset with their kids for coming out as queer isn't so simple. You know, like anything, there are a variety of families and how they respond to people. What we're shown here is the right way that a parent should be responding to their child being queer and making sure that they know they're loved and supported no matter what and going that extra mile to make sure that that message is portrayed to them, no matter what situation, even if that does mean you aren't there to physically tell them, there is still a way that they know that you love them, no matter who they were. And, on doing parenting right, again, Cairo's mother. The fact that at some point he is on a call with her, 
and breaks down and apologises for being gay, she shuts that right down, letting him know that there is nothing wrong with him. That is exactly the thing for kids who have had this guilt or shame about coming out as gay need to hear, reminding them that there is nothing wrong with this and letting them know that they are loved. She lets us know that she knew already and that if anything, she feels at fault since she hadn't yet earned his trust enough that he felt he could share that information with her that he was gay. And I think, again, perfect. Another example of parents getting it right. It's not a case of, oh, why didn't you tell me sooner? It is mainly a fact of, I knew, but it wasn't my place to bring you out of the closet or to force you to have that conversation. It was focused on, it is Cairo's journey, it is his time to decide when that is talked about, and realising that she is just there to love and support him unconditionally and earn that trust so that he feels in a safe environment to share that information. Perfect. Absolutely stunning. Now that we've talked this TV show to death, I suppose it's time to let you know how I would rate this and whether I would pass you my copy to have a look over. So, overall, I don't think it's going to come as a surprise, especially if you listen to the extended episode on Patreon, that I'm going to give this TV show a rating 10 out of 10 babies. It was such a fun and easygoing show to watch with some tense moments of drama, but overall light-hearted, sometimes cheesy piece of BL work. And yeah, it was something I feel I really appreciated, especially at the moment when the world feels rather grim. (laughs) So yes, 10 out of 10 for great representation as well as happy storyline and really getting to witness some good parenting skills. Who am I going to recommend this to? Well, I want to recommend it to everyone as I just love the show. I mean, binged it two days. So yeah, really liked it. However, I suppose... My recommendation will depend on your tastes, as this is definitely more for someone that wants a simple slice of life story that has a good number of twists and moments of drama and suspense, rather than lots of hard action or fantasy or other sort of, you know, key hitting points that bring the the audiences to the seats these days in the cinema. Plus, I would say that you also have to be willing to give the show the time and attention, as you will be reading subtitles. And I know from one of my partners that this isn't something everyone is happy to do. So again, depending on your levels of comfort with sitting and reading a lot during watching something, then that will probably also vary my recommendation for you if this is something for you. And thus, we've now completed our fourth entry into Babushka's Big Queer Media Review. Ta-da! The thing has been done! If you've enjoyed this episode, or the podcast overall, it would really help with the algorithm if you could leave us a review on wherever you're listening to your podcasts, as well as sharing this with all those you think would enjoy the show. Or, if you're feeling generous, you can donate to the Ko-Fi to help keep the lights running on all the House of Nonsense projects we get up to. Next time, we will be reviewing... But I'm a Cheerleader, a 1999 film about a teenager being sent off to a conversion camp by her parents. So, do check that out ahead of time if you can't wait for my review. 
and there might even be a special surprise next episode. And if you have any suggestions for queer media creators you would like to hear reviewed, you can always contact me through the website, houseofnonsense.org. All the links for the Ko-Fi and website are also in the show notes. With all that said, I just want to say thank you for joining me this week on Babushka's Big Queer Media Review, and I hope you all have a great day wherever you are. Speak to you soon, lovelies.